a few weeks in early spring, the only sounds that I heard were those of songbirds and sirens. The country battled to protect the NHS, save the lives of people struggling to breathe. The world was being forced to stop, pause and let the planet draw a collective breath. I'm Ros Miller, a mid-career medic who found herself disillusioned about healthcare in the UK long before the lockdown of 2020. Songbirds and Sirens is for anyone interested in the biggest challenges medics face today. How to practice the basic tenets of being a good doctor, simply caring for people safely, while simultaneously delivering the latest medical advances in a world of rapidly changing technology and instant gratification. From the highlands of Scotland to the hidden doors of Harley Street, I have found two consistent things. One, medics don't wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to do a bad job. Exactly the opposite. We want to help people, to have the time to care for our patients and to do our very best for them. And number two, patients, regardless of whether they are down and out or a dame, all crave exactly the same things. To be seen, to be heard, and to know that for a moment in time, at least someone cares. Songbirds and Sirens is the start of a conversation society needs to have with itself. For me, it's the chance to catch up with colleagues and some friends to find out how the last few months have changed their perspectives and influenced their values. In this final episode with Alberto Gregori, we look to the future and to what's next for him and world orthopaedic concern. Because until we know that we can travel, we can't. At the moment, we're concentrating on education. Who some of the projects that don't require presence? So one of the projects we've just completed is supplying gowns, surgical gowns, to hospitals in the northern Malawi region because they didn't have surgical gowns. So what we've done is, all done remotely, we've got local tailors to make up with local materials, surgical gowns to pattern, and we just uh, sent out 72 surgical gowns uh, to six hospitals, which allows you know, obviously reusable gowns because simple things like that, looking at creating some of the equipment to treat fractures conservatively, which you know, can be made locally. Education, we're going to look at whether in fact we can do our clinics virtually rather than go out, so that when we go to operate, we've already got the patients lined up, so it can be more efficient. And we're looking towards extending how we do our teaching as well. Because teaching is a very big part of what we have to do in trauma teaching. Maybe that we can deliver it as an online platform, and we're looking at how to overcome those challenges. So one of the issues is that in much of Africa, much of Caribbean, South America, into China, is that the internet is actually incredibly good. The problem is a lot of people can't afford access to the internet. So we're in discussion with some of the major telecommunications companies to actually provide free broadband internet access, 4G, 5G access, for educational purposes. To Code it so that it's only accessible to people and to be able to provide education on these tools so that 
for example, teaching first aid and resuscitation, you can do a large part of the course online before you ever go out there. And then what you can do is just go to the small units, the small health centres, and do the hands-on practical skills training. And then when they're skilled, tick the box, you actually give them the equipment to then be able to provide care. And that could be very basic equipment for resuscitation, a spinal board, how to use uh, locally available oxygen concentrators, how to split fractures with locally available equipment. So we have to think out of the box because we reckon, and we're having a meeting tomorrow to discuss this, we reckon most of our projects will be stalled for another six months. Wow. When do you think life will get back to normal? It will never will go back to normal. Okay. So in five years' time then, what is Alberto Gregori doing? Hopefully back to doing what he was doing, but using more technology to provide better care. And that won't be just here, but in Africa as well. So one of the examples that we were sort of talking through, in Zambia, the care that we provide is aircraft-based. One of the problems that we have is we can't carry much weight. So we carry a smorgasbord of equipment that allows us to deal with 90% of what we come across. On occasion, we come across things that we don't have the right equipment. Those patients, if we had virtually clicked them, examined them, seen them, x-rayed them, we would be able to plan what technology we need to take. And the technology may allow us to see patients that don't need to tackle the seals. So when you go out to the western provinces of Zambia, some people have walked 150 kilometers to see the surgeon. Now, that's a huge undertaking for these people. But closer to home, they may have access to internet. They may not have access to a tablet, but they may have access to internet and a barefoot walker. So it may be that what we can do is using very simple technology, using internet, these patients can actually be seen closer to home and then told, yes, we can do something for this, or no, that needs an X-ray, or no, that needs to come and see us in the city because it's a really complex problem. We can sift patients much more effectively and plan them effectively. And that would hold true for a plastic surgical colleague as well as a colleague. And it allow us to also have more efficient use of resources. So... For example, being able to take up the right size nails. If we need nails, nails are incredibly heavy. If we know that we've got three patients that need a nail, we can look and justify bringing that equipment or sending it forward by road so we won't fly it up at all. It just takes longer. So that technology can be used. And the other thing that is a nascent idea is in Malawi, we have clinical officers who are orthopedically trained that don't do much surgery. But we can train them to do basic surgery, and we have done. So some of the more able guys could be more enthusiastic. We've trained them to do basic amniotic bands. They can do basic minor burns. They can do basic fracture management. In the Zuzu, we've actually taught them how to do nailings. And these are people that have trained for two years as medical officers and then done another year of orthopedics. So we're not talking about people that are incredibly educated, but they're hands-on educated. And they're good. Some of them are incredibly good. Some of them are actually better than a lot of orthopedic surgeons because they've got a good pair of hands. So 
again, we can virtually supervise patients being operated on and give advice. Because sometimes that's all they need. When I was last, when I was in the, in Kata Bay, the clinical officer I was teaching, very good. You know, in the UK, he'd be regarded as a significantly above average trainee. Good your hands, good eye skills, hand eye coordination, good self motivational skills, ability, the right character for doing surgery. And what was interesting was I was able to teach him and some of the surgeons, I didn't even struggle, I was able to talk him through what he was doing because he was capable of doing that. And these are the types, some of the, the people that you could do virtual supervision for. You just have to have reliable internet connection, reliable electricity, which is a big challenge. Time out electricity is a big, big problem in Saharan Africa. There's not enough electricity to go around, and they haven't gone down the route of solar panels, they've gone down the route of hydroelectricity. Hydroelectric power is great if it rains, but if it doesn't rain, you've got drought, you've got a problem. But yeah, that's where I say five years, I think, will be more technology, definitely. In Africa. So, what would be your biggest fear about all of this and, and the impact that it has on healthcare and the world moving forward and then the flip to that would be what's your biggest hope that comes out of it all? Well the biggest fear is the same fear of history isn't it? That we don't learn from our mistakes and we don't take this as an opportunity to change and do things differently and better so you know we've all seen that we can work from home we can do a lot of work from home We've all seen that we can do quite a lot less. We've all seen that transport can be done differently. So my hope is that we take that on board and develop that further. So, for example, a transportation mechanism that allows more use of bikes, that allows more use of walking, but also a mechanism of education and structure and work that allows people that can to not work at a big office all the time. Do a lot of the work that they can do from home and maybe just go to a hub and do the work that needs to be done with a group of people maybe once a week, first week. So that would have a significant impact on the environment. So there's a lot that can be done. So the hope is that we learn from it. The fear is we don't learn. <laughs> And then finally, just in a completely different tact, if you um, could have five people from the present or any previous time in history as dinner guests, and I'm sure it would be a fantastic dinner, who would they be and why? Five people. Leonardo da Vinci, because I think he's a great sort of clairvoyant of life, humanity, science, the world, astrology. So Leonardo da Vinci, number one. Number two, Barack Obama, because I think he has some uh, very, very good traits of seeing people as they are. I like the fact that he's, he's very intuitive. Probably Mahatma Gandhi, simply because I think everything I've read and seen is just so interesting because of how he thought and you know how he was stubborn. Stubborn for the ideal. The fourth person I want to have dinner probably be somebody that is an artist, a wacky artist, 
probably something that Edith Piaf, simply because she suffered, but she had an incredible sense of self and who had a fever and amazing talent. And the last person would probably be another musical person, probably be somebody, either somebody like Verdi, who is a great composer, but also a great observer of humanity, or another composer, but Verdi probably. Thank you very much. Pleasure. I can now break open the wine. I'm sure Trish wants a glass of wine. Yes, yeah, it's for me. So take care, to David, and remember you made a Zoom dinner. Yes, we still do. We've, well, we've got pl- <laughs> I can tell you something. We have plenty of time, and that's definitely on us. So I'll get you a date. Take care. Okay, you take care. Bye. You can listen to the next episode of Alberta Provori right now. You don't need to wait until next week. Simply download from Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify. career that spans a decade as a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, working both in the National Health Service and the private sector, I've had the privilege of meeting and treating fascinating individuals from all walks of life, from single mums and factory workers to actors, business leaders and politicians, with the occasional lord and lady along the way. This moment in time has brought fear, but also hope and most importantly, an intense desire for change. It's up to society, not politicians, not governing bodies and not the media to decide what our collective future should be. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to find out more or if you would like to contribute to the conversation, please get in touch.